This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 18. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin, and I am honored that you decided to hang out with us. Uh, Whatever you're going through, whatever you're wrestling with, maybe you're in a job you hate, maybe you're in a job that you're just like, eh, I could be doing better. Maybe you want to start your own business. Maybe you just want to chase some type of dream that you're just trying to figure out how to make happen. Listen, you came to the right place. You stopped by the right spot where hopefully we can provide some of that inspiration and insight today uh, from the variety of different guests that we interview and talk to and hear their stories and hear their journeys and learn how they got into doing the work that they are doing. Today we are at episode 18 and uh, we've got a great guest for you today. Before we get into that, a couple quick things I'll mention to you. Hey, if you haven't had a chance already, swing by GrantBaldwin.com. We've on the site there, we've got a, a free PDF for you called uh, Five Questions to Help You Find and Do Work You Love. So if you're someone just trying to figure out what, what am I supposed to be doing? I, I know I want to be doing something significant with my life. I've got kind of that nagging urge within the pit of my stomach that I, there's something on this planet I'm supposed to be doing. I just don't quite know what it is. And so if that's you, I think you ought to, uh, I think these questions would really help you out just trying to figure out what are you good at? What are your talents? What are your abilities? What are you passionate about? How do these things translate into a career? So again, you can download that at grantbaldwin.com. And uh, again, five questions to help you find and do work you love. Hey, also we're doing a, a survey right now. We want to hear from you and just make sure that we are creating things that, and providing value that for things that you really need help with, things that you're really chewing on and pondering with. What are the, the challenges, the issues, the questions that you are wrestling with. We want to make sure that we are, we're helping you kind of uh, navigate and uh, think through and ponder those things. So we are currently doing a survey to help figure some of those things out. So if you wouldn't mind, swing by grantbaldwin.com slash survey, grantbaldwin.com slash survey. It's a short question or short survey, about 10 questions uh, that uh, will just, again, kind of help us give us some, some feedback. I promise it'll take no more than a couple minutes. We are actually going to do a giveaway with this as well. We're going to give away 50 bucks, a $50 gift card to iTunes, do a random drawing and, and give one of those away to someone uh, who completes this. So you could win. You could win 50 bucks to iTunes just because uh, I'm a swell guy and I like you and I, uh, I dig you. I dig you listening to this. So the deadline for that is Sunday, July 20th, 2014. So if you are listening to this way in the future, you have missed the window, my friend, but I still like you. So uh, July 20th is the deadline. Make sure you swing by, fill that out, grandbaldwin.com slash survey. All right, let's get on to today's guest. Today we are joined by uh, Ben Schloppig. Good luck uh, pronouncing that or saying that five times fast. But Ben actually is a... Um, He's kind of a mile and point junkie in the travel world. He's a, a travel uh, aficionado, a travel hacker, uh, so to speak. And so I, I've followed his blog. He runs a blog called One Mile at a Time, where he just talks about this whole somewhat underground mile and point world. And he makes his full-time living literally uh, teaching people about miles and points in the travel industry and also just traveling himself. So I was very fascinated by this. Of How do you make a living talking about miles and points? Something so, so niche. And part of the interesting thing about his story is how he was able to create a business and obviously this very specific niche before there was even really a market, but what he did to establish himself as an expert in that new space. 
And I think that'll resonate with a lot of you. I think some of you may be wrestling with ideas and going, I think I could do this, but I don't see anyone else out there doing it. So how do I become known as the go-to person in a space that I'm not entirely sure exists? And that's exactly what Ben has done in the Milan Point world. Also, we'll talk about the uh, the challenge he faced with not wanting to disappoint his parents, kind of that career path that they wanted him to take and how he decided to go a different direction and how that conversation went, how they responded to that. We'll also talk about advice he gives to new bloggers in any industry or any space. He's a, he's a prolific blogger, has written a ton of content and really helped out a lot of people. So how do you build a name in a, uh, a new space, any industry, any niche? Plus, as a, uh, a travel hacker, we'll talk about some different tips and tricks about how to travel for free and what some of the favorite places are that he has been to. So I think you're going to want to stick around for that. All right. Hey, as always, you can find all the show notes to everything that we discuss at grandbaldo.com. Make sure that you swing by the site. Check that out. Check out the survey and uh, check out those five questions to help you find and do work you love. That is enough of that. Let's do this. Here's my interview with Ben. Enjoy. All right, today I'm hanging out with uh, Ben Schlopig, uh, also known by, as Lucky, who runs a blog called One Mile at a Time, which we'll be diving into today. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you, Grant? Doing awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you. So uh, you run this blog, One Mile at a Time. Tell us exactly what is the blog about? Well, I try to basically help people uh, travel the world free or as close to free as possible. So I kind of write about my travels, and I also give people advice on how they can maximize their travels and uh, you know, use miles and points to travel for free as much as possible. All right. You've already piqued people's interest. I'm a mile and point travel hacking junkie myself. So for someone that's just totally unfamiliar to this, give us a quick snapshot of how is it possible to travel for free? Well, the idea is these airlines have these uh, loyalty programs that are incredibly profitable for them. And the reason for that is that most people have no clue how to use their miles. However, through basically credit card sign-up bonuses. So for example, Credit card companies will give you 50,000 or 100,000 miles just for signing up for a credit card. And you know, if you play that game right, you can travel the world in first and business class for free. So for example, American Airlines will have a sign-up bonus for 100,000 miles for a new credit card. And that's enough for a business class ticket to Europe just for acquiring a credit card. Very intriguing. Now, like I mentioned, my wife and I, we dabble in this a little bit. We're, uh, we're actually uh, getting ready to take a first class trip to Europe or uh, not to Hawaii. My wife just went to Europe and stay for uh, six or seven nights in a suite out there, all paid for with miles and points. So I can also testify that this works and it's a crazy, crazy system. My wife and I have taken a lot of trips and we're just looking at ourselves like, how did this happen? We literally, you feel like you're beating the system somehow. It's kind of a weird deal. Absolutely. It's so much fun. It's uh, even not just the reward, but you get such a high almost out of every time you book a ticket for free or, or book a suite for free. It's great. It's a very surreal experience where you just you feel like you're doing something wrong, but at the same time, <laughs> you know that you're not. And uh, nonetheless, it, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people listening to this love travel, but travel is very, very expensive. So being able to, to share with people how you do that for free or how you, you bring the cost of that significantly down, that's super, super intriguing. So I'm, I'm sure you've piqued a lot of people's interest. So let's backtrack a little bit and answer the question of how did you get into this? So you're born and raised in, uh, in Florida. You grew up? I grew up in New York, and then when I was 12, I moved to Florida, so I did grow up there and I went to school there. So when I was growing up, I actually always wanted to be a pilot. Um, I've always been obsessed with travel and aviation, and becoming a pilot seemed like the best option at the time. Uh, and then 9-11 happened, and you know that industry wasn't looking too promising, so I decided I was going to go with a more traditional corporate approach, or at least that was my thought at the time. Where does that fascination and just kind of love of travel come from? Well, my family's from Germany, so uh, ever since a very young age, I've been traveling back and forth 
visiting family in Germany. My parents have kind of always supported that to explore as many cultures as possible. So it's always something I've been obsessed with. When was your first trip to Germany? Like, what was some of your earliest travel memories where it just started to resonate with you? Like, ah, oh, this is cool. I got to figure out how to do more of this. My first trip was when I was six weeks old. So I don't remember that one. But, uh, <laughs> I do remember when I was five, six, and seven going over there and just loving how different it was and kind of, you know, getting on a plane and waking up on the other side of the world where, you know, things, even though they're somewhat similar, are still completely different. Right, right. Even today, do you feel like you enjoy the, the journey more, the travel more, or do you enjoy the, the destination more? I hate to admit it. I mean, I like them both, but uh, to be honest, the journey is probably almost as fun as the destination for me. Uh, yeah. Because partly because of travel hacking, that you know, you do get a thrill out of you know when you get a great deal on something, for example, which is usually associated more with the journey than the destination. Yeah, for sure. So you remember taking all these trips, these journeys to Germany and just to Europe, and just kind of bouncing around as as a kid. At what point did you think like, hey, that the pilot is the is the path? Is that is that kind of always what you always wanted to do as a kid? Since I was five years old, I remember always wanting to be a pilot. That's what I was absolutely obsessed with. Um, and then actually when I was 15, I started working on my pilot's license because at the time I still thought that's what I definitely wanted to do. But then it just it didn't make sense at a certain point. And you know, I just figured it was too risky because at the end of the day, if you become a pilot, all that matters is your seniority number. And if your airline goes bankrupt, you know, there goes your career. Did you ever, I mean, what about within that though? I mean, there's a lot of different things that you could do outside of just commercial aviation of whether it's a private pilot or something else. W were those options ever intriguing to you or was it just the commercial route, kind of the, the main path of travel that you were intrigued by? You know, oddly, as much as I'm fascinated by aviation as a whole, what always fascinated me was actually just being an airline pilot. I was never interested in military or private. I don't know why, but there's something about the act of transporting people around the world in such a simple fashion that fascinated me. Yeah. Nice. So you, you've got this dream to be the, the pilot. How old were you when 9-11 happened? I was uh, 12. All right. So you're still pretty young at that point, uh, but still like realistic enough to realize within the next couple of years or so that travel as, as a whole, as an industry, is going to be hurting. Exactly. I realized it, it probably is not the uh, right industry to go into at that point. And you know, with the economy then even collapsing in 2008 and everything, it, it almost got worse. And it just, it seemed at that point, it just wasn't worth it. In terms of just kind of pivoting and shifting directions there, is that some feedback that you got from, from family or friends or outsiders? Is that more just something kind of intuitively you kind of picked up on yourself? Kind of picked it up on my own. It was, my mother was never, I mean, she supported me doing whatever I wanted to, but at the same time, she was always scared of me becoming a pilot for, you know, safety reasons, sure. not once you actually become a pilot, but the training and everything. So it was kind of a combination of factors. It was, you know, my mother never really wanted it. And, um, I figured at that point it just it wasn't the right thing. So you shift gears at that point. You're probably in high school or so and realize, okay, the pilot path isn't for me. Still kind of intrigued by travel. But at that point, you're, you're headed down kind of the corporate road. Tell us more about that. Well, to be honest, regarding the corporate road, I never really I – was, I was just kind of lost. I didn't have a vision for a few years. So I went to college for four years. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So it's funny because when I started college, I just randomly started a travel blog. Um, I actually I missed an exam one morning for a computer science class. And I was really angry because I overslept. And I decided, okay, I might as well, you know, start a travel blog, just something completely unrelated. But I figured I might as well do something productive. Not that, you know, for the average person, starting a blog is a productive thing. But at the time, it made sense to me. And six years later, now it's my full-time thing. But even when I was finishing college, I never actually thought, okay, I can do this full-time. Because you're kind of, you're told by society, you know, you have to get a job where you work from nine to five, five days a week. And that's, you know, you kind of, it's instilled in you. And you kind of believe that to be true. So you're in college, you're, you're going the corporate route, but then you miss an exam and that morning while you're missing the, the class, you're 
sitting in your dorm or sitting in the apartment or sitting wherever and decide, all right, well, I'm going to make good use of my time and I'm going to fire up a blog. Is that basically what happened? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense in retrospect. But yeah, that's basically, that's, that's how it happened. I mean, is that, that's obviously, that's got to be something that's been on your mind though for a little bit of doing a travel blog and you just kind of, the moment was right or you just kind of have this moment of inspiration to sit down and start, start hacking it out. So what is that morning like? Kind of walk us through that. Well, you know, I always, um, I posted on a lot of kind of uh, frequent flyer bulletin boards. So there's a few websites like flyertalk.com, for example, you know, that are focused on miles and points. And I was always contributing to those in a way that's ultimately not so useful in the sense that you can't make a career out of posting on internet bulletin boards for free. Right. And I never expected I'd make a career out of blogging either. But at the time, I just figured, okay, rather than spending eight hours a day posting on an internet uh, you know, bulletin board, maybe I should at least put my thoughts in one place that's you know my own, basically. Were you at the time just thinking this isn't going to necessarily turn into anything? This is more just kind of my own hobby and I'm just kind of throwing some thoughts down for myself and maybe a few friends and family? Absolutely. I always thought it would just be a huge time suck. I never expected it to actually be constructive or useful to my life. So that's the funny thing is that I it, I missed an exam and I did something that I thought would be an even bigger time suck. <laughs> you know, not contribute positively, but right. I can't say it made much sense at the time. So you, you do it anyway, just kind of on this whim there. At the time, so what were you, uh, what, sophomore, junior, senior in, in college? I was a sophomore. I was just starting my sophomore year. And what are you majoring in at that point? I was, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was majoring in some sort of business at the time. Did you shift at all? Did you, did you change majors at all? I ended up changing to marketing. Uh, you know, truth be told, I didn't really get that much out of college. And I was never, the thing is, I'm a very like focused person. When I'm passionate about something, I put 110% into it. And if I'm not passionate about something, I just, sadly, sometimes, you know, don't give it the attention it deserves. So I went through college basically thinking, okay, I'll get some business degree. It doesn't really matter. And then the last year I decided, okay, well, the marketing classes seem easiest if I have to get a, you know, specialize in something. So I ended up majoring in marketing. I think that's a great point that uh, I think a lot of people struggle with and deal with is it's really, really difficult to get passionate about something that you don't care about. And so when you're kind of following that traditional path of this is the way you have to go and these are the hoops that you have to jump through, you're like, yeah, but I don't, like if I don't care about any of these hoops, or they, they may be relevant to you, but if they're not to me, then it really is difficult for me to get excited about it. Exactly. And that's really, that's the, the thing, especially because kind of you're, you're told that you have to take this approach. You have to, you know, you, the society kind of seems to dictate that that's how it's supposed to work. And I was just never, I could never kind of put my head into something I wasn't truly passionate about. So it sounds like like partway through college, you're starting to think like, okay, I don't know what I want to do. I just know it's not this. Are you starting to kind of think through what some of your other options or alternatives might be? Well, that's the kind of bad thing on my part is that I really wasn't. I should have. I just kind of, because, you know, the thing is you never think, okay, I'm going to make a living being a blogger. Everybody has a blog. And, you know, for the most part, 99% of blogs don't really make money because either you need a certain amount of traffic or you need something you can monetize. And that's pretty tough to do. So for me, it was even at the time, I wasn't really thinking about what I could do. I was thinking, I don't really like what I'm doing in terms of, uh, you know, potential career paths, but I didn't actually think about what I should be doing stupidly. Right. So did you end up graduating college? I did. Yeah. No, I finished college and actually my senior year, I started looking for jobs and I was looking for jobs kind of in the travel industry. So, uh, you know, for example, for some travel websites and stupidly at the time, I never thought, okay, I can actually make my own business. I can actually do this on my own. So I kept looking for jobs and the things I never had any formal internships. I never, because I was never really passionate about direct kind of business jobs. I was kind of just focused on blogging and traveling and doing what I love. So I never had internships. And in the end, I couldn't, well, I don't want to say I couldn't get a job, but I, I only applied a couple places. 
and I didn't end up getting an offer. And then at that point I said, screw it. I'll do my own thing. Yeah. And it sounds like, again, at that point, you're, you're kind of one of those people who I, I think this applies with a lot of us where it's like, I know kind of a very, very broad thing I'm interested in and I enjoy and I like travel being that thing, but how that translates into a career could look a million different ways. So how did you start to really start to narrow it down and hone in on the, the mile and points? Well, so I mean, I had been blogging at that point for uh, about three years, and you know, my readership was growing considerably every year. And at the time, I just kind of thought that. So it, I had always been obsessed with miles and points. So it was. It wasn't a question of kind of what I would be writing about. It was more of a question of how I would make a living doing it because um, it's easy to grow traffic on a blog. It's tough to monetize it. Um, so that was kind of my struggle at the time. So you've been doing the blog for three years. It's traffic's picking up. Things are going somewhere. So you're beginning to see like, what point are you feeling like, this has got some possibility. Like this could be my full-time thing. Well, actually I'd realized at that point that, you know, I was making as much from the blog as I would probably be making, you know, from a first year out of college job. But of course, when you graduate college, two things are going through your head. First of all, you want to make your parents proud. And my dad doesn't know how to use the internet. Um, he doesn't even have a cell phone. He doesn't really believe in that. So I don't want to say embarrassed, but like it was very difficult for me to explain to my dad what I was doing since he doesn't know how to use the internet. So, you know, explaining to him. So basically I write things on the internet and then people read them. That to him is not something that, uh, you know, makes sense really. So that right. was my first challenge is that I was like, I've got to do something else. This, you know, I can't make my parents proud being a blogger. That's it conjures up images of sitting in your mother's basement in pajamas all day writing on the internet. Right. And so that was really the first struggle. And then the other thing is you kind of have this feeling that it's, always unstable to be self-employed. You're scared that, you know, what if something happens and then you're all on your own? But then you also realize that, you know, no matter what job you have, there really is no such thing as job security nowadays. So that's something it took me maybe six months to get over. But at that point, I realized, okay, I'm making as much as I would be making if I had another job out of college. And it might not seem as stable to me, but, you know, in reality, if you rely on yourself, I think that's about as stable as you can be in life. But what about whenever you're considering your different options there and you're kind of going through that for that six-month period where you're going, I don't know if being self-employed is safe, secure, comfortable, all of those things. So how do you kind of get over that mental block, that mental barrier? Because I think that's something that we, that anybody who like, I see this thing that I want to do, I just know I no idea how to do it. Or maybe even I'm getting traction on how to do it. But we've all, again, kind of like what we've been talking about is kind of a theme here of internally, I feel like, and I've been told by other people that, it, that doing your own thing is not safe, secure. I got to get a job and just nine to five. And I'm just going to ride that ship for the next 40, 50 years till retirement, till the promised land. How do you kind of get over that mental block that doing my own thing may be even more stable or secure than working for someone else? It's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing I kind of realized is that I absolutely loved what I was doing. You know, I, I was thinking, became very quickly that I was thinking, okay, if I had a full-time job, I, I would be so miserable doing something for 40 hours a week that I wasn't actually interested in. And what I realized was that, you know, I get to wake up every morning, do what I do. And that's, you know, that's what I love. And that if I were to, I have the same struggle now, kind of, some days I say, okay, well, I'm working 14 hours a day, I should take a day off. And then I take a day off. And I realize that I would be doing the same thing I were doing if I were working. So I mean, the, the really, the, the biggest thing for me was that I realized that I loved what I was doing. And if you love what you're doing, you know, as cliche as it sounds, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. It's right. true. And if you really love what you do, and you know, if you can, even if you're not doing as well as you'd otherwise be doing financially necessarily, if you love what you do, 
I think that really is the greatest reward. For sure. Let's go back to the first challenge you said that you had of just kind of explaining it to your parents and getting them to buy in and getting them to understand it, especially with with parents, like you said, like your dad, who's never really used the internet, doesn't have a cell phone. So this whole idea of I write all day just comes across as completely unrealistic and hokey or whatever for someone that's just completely unfamiliar with that world. So what's that those conversations like with your parents, getting them to buy in or feeling like you're letting them down or, or kind of how does that go for you? Well, so the thing I should say also to give my parents credit here, they always told me to do whatever I love, that if I'm passionate about what I do, that's the most important thing. So they were supportive in that way. And it wasn't that they were saying they were you know, let down, but it was kind of, I was feeling like I was letting them down. And, um, you know, to be honest, the, the point at which I felt a lot better about it was I got, you know, I've been quoted in the meantime in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, all kinds of publications. And really, you know, my dad reads the newspaper every morning. And it was kind of, it was when I was quoted in the Wall Street Journal that for him was the greatest thing because, you know, if it's, it's only real for him if it's on paper. And that right. was, uh, so, you know, that was one thing that, uh, really helped it. In terms of just conversations, it was really, you know, they were incredibly supportive. And I'm very fortunate that they always supported me doing what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, the, the biggest challenge really was my brother, my older brother works in finance. Uh, my dad was in banking uh, years ago. So I was kind of really untraditional in that sense, but they were very supportive. Did you ever feel like you were disappointing them or letting them down by not going the finance baking, you know, traditional family route? Not really, to be honest. But I, I knew I wouldn't let them down. I knew Right. I kind of felt like I was like I'm my own toughest critic when it comes to it. So I thought I was letting them down from my standards versus their own standards. They always supported me being a pilot when I wanted to do that because they thought, you know, if you if that's what you love, you should do it. So at the time, you know, they supported that and they certainly supported this. So not really. If anything, I felt like I was letting them down from my perspective versus from theirs. So even whenever you finished college, you it sounds like you never really you went straight into the blog. You never really had like a traditional corporate role. I never have worked for anyone else in my life. So that's nice. something I'm proud of, but uh, for sure. at the same time, it was scary for a while. <laughs> so you, you're interested in talking about miles and points. I think, that, again, that's kind of a, one of those things that I'm interested in, in travel at large, but within that world, I'm interested in this very specific niche. How do you take a niche like that and actually make a living from that? Was that something that, did you see some other bloggers that were doing it or some other people that were out there and you kind of, they'd kind of carved a path that you saw this is a, a possible way to make a living? Or how did you kind of realize the game plan of actually making a living from doing this? Well, that's the funny thing is that going back, uh, it's been now, I think, uh, over six years, about six and a half years that I've been uh, blogging. And at the time, going back six and a half years, there was nobody in the miles and points space that was uh, making a living blogging. So at the time, it was unheard of. In the meantime, the, the you know, space is quite saturated. And there's a bunch of blogs and a bunch of full-time bloggers. But at the time, it was uh, you know, not something really that anybody was making a living doing. So I knew there was a kind of a large following of that area because uh, there's a lot of internet bulletin boards that you know, just discuss this stuff all day. So I knew kind of trying to be one resource that people could go to would attract an audience. The question was, you know, how do you monetize that beyond just you know, impression-based ads? So you felt like there was just primarily based on there's enough traffic here from bulletin boards and just people chatting about it and talking about it that I could probably do this on my own. Is that kind of where you got that sense from? Exactly. And I should also mention, so I had another kind of side business that was related to the blog, uh, which was since I was kind of the expert on miles and points, I was always helping family members and friends book you know, redeem their miles basically for international travel. So also when I was finishing college, I decided maybe I should start making a, a formal service where I help people use their miles for a fee. So it was kind of, you know, that 
supplemented it nicely. So I was for fee helping people redeem their miles. And, you know, that was that became so popular, I quickly had to hire some more people. So, you know, that was kind of another aspect of it, even though it's only sort of a side thing. It was nice kind of to have two income streams. So you're doing the, you've got the blog going, then you've got the kind of mile and point redemption service going and just helping people book and figure out how to maximize their, their miles and points. What percentage of each of these revenue streams is kind of, how does that contribute to the bigger picture? Where's most of that coming from revenue? It really varies year to year, kind of depending on what's going on, but you know, it's a somewhat even split, a little bit more from the blog than from the booking service. But in the meantime, I have eight colleagues that work with me helping people book award tickets. So that's very exciting. So I'm a little bit more hands-off there nowadays, and I focus more on writing the blog because one thing I've been kind of very passionate about is trying to maintain one voice for the blog. You know, I'm not hiring ghost writers or, or you know, I don't have too many contributors. So kind of keep the blog in one voice, the better, I figure. Right, right. For someone who, who may be listening to this and going, okay, I know I'm interested in this one generic space. I'd love to blog. I'd love to write about it. I'm not really sure how I actually make a living from that. What advice would you give to them? And that's a real challenge. <laughs> I mean, I think ultimately, if you're passionate about something, put 110% effort into it. And even if you don't necessarily immediately see an opportunity to monetize it, do what you can to get out there to network with people in that field. And ultimately, don't be afraid to try something new. You know, like I said, when I started blogging, nobody was making a living doing that. And I never, or at least nobody was making a living in the miles and points space uh, when it came to blogging. And it was risky, but at the same time, I knew it was what I was passionate about. I think that if you're passionate about something, you know, there's always opportunities to make a living around it. Yeah. Again, I think you're a great example of that, of someone who, again, this is like a very, very niche thing. You know, It's not like I'm traveling around and I'm writing, doing hotel reviews or I'm doing restaurant reviews, these things that would seem a little more common or at least traditional, but teaching people about how to get and use miles and points just seems like this kind of random thing. So I think that is very encouraging to people who may be listening to this going, uh, I've got kind of this random niche thing and maybe nobody else outside of my world understands it or gets it. But uh, I think that there's potential here and I see enough uh, in my own just kind of loosely based market research to think there may be something there. And it sounds like even for you, it took you a good three years or so of just blogging consistently before you were really able to do it on a full-time level. Exactly. And that's something you've got to stick with it. And that's, I think, what's interesting is you see a lot of kind of new blogs arise because they see, okay, well, this blog is doing well and is getting hundreds of thousands or millions of page views a month. And they think, okay, I can do that too because I can replicate that content. And I think the thing is uh, when you look at kind of the number of blogs that after six months they stop because, you know, it's discouraging at first. For the first year, I really, I was writing to myself and perhaps my mother when she would check my blog. Like, I don't, you know, there was really such a small readership that it's discouraging. And, you know, you don't get comments or anything. So it is frustrating. But I think if you stick with it, and especially if you can kind of establish yourself as an expert in a niche, whatever it is, that's useful. So like I said, I was posting on flyertalk.com at the time. I have 20-something thousand posts there. So, you know, I was trying to do what I could to contribute there, never with the thought of long-term turning anything related to that into a career. But, you know, kind of once you're established as an expert in a field, it's a lot easier also to, you know, kind of go from there. Is that the main thing that you did to just establish yourself as that expert is just finding flyer talker or whoever, if someone that may be listening to this, that whatever that kind of hub of activity and comments and traffic is for just conversation around that subject to, to just really provide a ton of value there. Is that kind of how you became known in that space? Yes, exactly. That's it. And actually the founder of flyertalk.com, he actually founded the blogging portal I started writing on. 
So, uh, you know, he had actually approached me years ago asking if I wanted to, uh, you know, blog on that site. And it wasn't something I actually considered until, you know, that morning after my exam, uh, basically. So it was kind of through that networking and through that connection that the idea of blogging even started. When you're getting started and, you know, it's those first six months a year and you're kind of doing this and you're starting to feel like, okay, maybe this is something that I could do. But like you're saying, those early years, you're not getting a ton of traffic. You're not getting a ton of comments. You're not getting a ton of engagement or interaction from people that are reading it. What kind of doubts, insecurities, fears are you feeling? Are you ever feeling like, is this even worth it? Screw it. Let's just pull the plug. What's kind of going through your head? Well, the funny thing related to that is that, um, you know, at first you get no comments and then, uh, you know, nowadays, for example, I get hundreds of comments a day. And then, you know, you get a lot of kind of mean comments because there's always going to be trolls on the internet. And to some degree, uh, you know, it's, it's almost tougher to deal with the comments, you know, when you get mean comments all the time versus no comments. So, you know, it's a different struggle. It doesn't bother me because at the end of the day, I write by my own standards. So if I'm comfortable with what I wrote, it doesn't matter to me if, if you know, I get mean comments or criticism over it. Like I respect other people's opinions, but I think we all have to live by our own standards. And that's kind of why it worked for me at the beginning as well, because I was comfortable with what I was writing. And even if others weren't commenting, I knew it was something I was passionate about. And I knew it was something that was important to me and that I was enjoying. And since that was the case, it didn't really bother me. So if someone wanted to get into the mile and point world and maybe they wanted to do a blog and, and like I mentioned, I see a lot of those blogs and I can speak that a lot of those are popping up very, very frequently. So if you wanted to get into some type of saturated market that's still pretty small niche, what would someone do, whether that be mile and point or something else? How would you kind of break into a, a saturated small niche? So I think the first thing is to be consistent and to uh, you know put a lot of effort into it and that you have to expect that if you're new to the market, you're going to have to put in more work than kind of the existing players in the market because they already have an audience. But I think more than anything else is to kind of establish, even within a niche, establish some unique sub-niche. So for example, I, I blog on boardingarea.com and uh, there's a blogger, her name is Mommy Points. So she writes, you know, kind of about miles and points from the perspective of being a mother. So, you know, that wasn't something that was really previously covered. So even though a niche might be small, you know, there's kind of so many smaller niches below that related to the same thing. So, you know, if you can kind of establish a unique spin on that, so whether it's, you know, traveling as a student or traveling as a mother or whatever it might be, you know, I think if you can have some unique perspective, some unique spin on things that others don't, that's uh, incredibly valuable. Is it possible for a market to become just completely oversaturated where it's not even worth trying to get into that space? I mean, I think no matter what the industry is, there's always room for innovation and for creative thinking. And that's why I think the market kind of settles itself out. And over time, you see that, you know, a lot of the new blogs disappear and there's still new ones that end up great. I mean, there's a couple of bloggers that in the past two years, uh, you know, they've only launched their blog in the past two years and they have huge reader, unique spin or unique way of kind of approaching things. Right. Well, we talked a little bit about the beginning, but for someone who's intrigued and they're going, okay, I want to take a trip to Europe. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Australia. I would like to experience first class. What are some simple things that people can do to get into this? Because uh, at the same time, you know, I certainly understand that there's a lot of danger with it too, and just some risk, and you've got a lot of, of dollars that may be involved in it. So what are some things people can do to actually get into this and start earning miles and points? So I think the biggest thing, really, if you can do it responsibly, is to apply for credit cards. Um, so you know, obviously, credit card companies they make money off of annual fees, off of merchant fees, so that you know when you swipe your credit card somewhere, the merchant is paying two or three percent, and then a big part of their money comes from people that are making their payments late. Um, so you know, if you make your payments late or finance charges, don't get into the credit card uh, game at all. 
But the fact is that credit card companies are giving huge bonuses, you know, 50,000 miles, 100,000 miles, whatever it might be, just for applying for a credit card and, you know, making a minimal number of purchases. So the best thing you can do really is apply for a few credit cards and spend a lot of money on them because uh, there's kind of, there's a lot of misconceptions about how credit scores work. A lot of people believe, oh, if I apply for a few credit cards, my credit score will be ruined. I have about 40 open credit cards right now, and my credit score is in the excellent category. Right. Um, so kind of if you understand how that works, that's the single best way to earn miles is through credit card uh, sign-up bonuses. That's always funny. Like I remember the, you know, the first time whenever you're a newbie and you hear that, you're like, that is insane. <laughs> that blows my mind. But today, it's like, yeah, 40, that sounds about right. That's, you know, my <laughs> wife and I were probably in the ballpark there. And yeah, it's just, it's just funny. But uh, yeah, but I think that, again, like the caveat you made is you really have to be responsible on this. There's so many little details that are involved in it that you really got to keep track of. And so if you're not, I, I talked to someone the other day and they're like, hey, I'm really interested in this, really smart person. And they're, but uh, they're like, I'm not a detail person at all. It's like, you really shouldn't dabble in this because uh, you got to, you got to have your spreadsheets. You got to be kind of a nerd about this stuff and really pay attention to what you're doing. And so I always tell people, like, when you're starting off, you know, you, you look at, you know, uh, yourself or myself and people that have maybe 20, 30, 40 credit cards and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, or if not millions of miles and points. It's like, yeah, but just start with a card, pick a trip, you know, and maybe for you, it's not the, I want to go first class uh, to Europe. Maybe for you, it's like, I just want to take my kids to Disney World. There are a lot of options to make that happen. But I always tell people, just begin with the end in mind, pick a trip, something that would be really, really cool, something that you'd really enjoy. And then there's a lot of ways to, f- to kind of work backwards and figure out what are the ways that you can get the miles and points you need to make that dream trip happen. Exactly. Now, it's great to start with a goal and kind of that you can reach that fairly quickly because then it's also more rewarding. Who doesn't love instant gratification? For sure. For sure. And it's uh, all of these things that we've talked about. I know they seem grandiose and like pie in the sky, but they're much more realistic than people realize. All of these dream trips that people can take, it's, it's very much within the realm of possibility. I mean, I fly first class around the world just on miles. So it's possible. Insane. All right. Give us a quick snapshot here. What are the, some of your favorite places you've ever been to? Oh boy! I Which I know love, is a super broad question. <laughs> I love New Zealand. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful places I've been. Germany, admittedly, I'm a bit biased, but I think Germany's beautiful. I love so many places in Asia: Hong Kong, Thailand, Indonesia, you know, especially Bali. So anything in Asia, New Zealand, and Germany would be my top picks. Nice. Good stuff, man. Hey, if we want to find out more about you, if you want to read the blog and just connect with that and uh, even kind of learn about some of these different options to earn and redeem miles and points, where do we need to go? Yeah, my blog is onemileatatime.net, and uh, I'm also on Twitter at onemileatatime. Awesome. Very good. Well, Ben, lucky. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. We appreciate the, uh, appreciate the time. Appreciate hearing uh, your story and journey and uh, how people can not only dabble in this mile and point world, but how people can really get into kind of a niche uh, sort of space, especially in the, in the blogosphere. So we appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Grant. I appreciate it. All right, Ben. We'll talk soon. Thanks. All right, there you have it. My interview with Ben Schlappig of One Mile at a Time. Hope you enjoyed that. Maybe you're not a travel hacker, but you're intrigued. This is interesting. You can do all of this travel for free. This is fascinating. My uh, my wife and I, we do a lot of travel, both just the two of us as well as with our family. And the secret for us is that we do a lot of, of travel hacking. We do a lot with miles and points. We've been able to take some amazing, amazing trips that we could never be able to afford on our own. So uh, hopefully this got you intrigued by it. But not only that, but just from a business perspective of how Ben has been able to really carve out a, uh, a become a go-to person in this small 
small little niche of miles and points. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, how do you make a living at that? And that's ultimately what this show is all about. I hope that for so many of these interviews you're, you're listening to and you're, you'd say, listen, if Ben can figure out how to make a living teaching people about how to travel free and understand the ins and outs of something as minuscule and what seemingly uh, unimportant as miles and points, then surely I can do that thing that I'm passionate about. So I would encourage you, figure out what that thing looks like. And and if Ben can do it in his world, certainly you could try it and pursue it in your own world. Hey, like I mentioned to you, uh, we're doing the survey right now, grandbaldon.com slash survey. If you wouldn't mind, swing by, check that out. We're going to give away 50 bucks to iTunes. It would uh, really help to get some feedback from you guys. We really appreciate your help and support with that. And then uh, as always, email me. If there's anything that I can do to help and support you on your journey to find and do work you love, please be sure to email me, grant at grantbaldon.com. If you know of any guests that you would love to hear, maybe any type of niche. Uh, I got a couple of emails recently from people going, I, you got anyone in the nonprofit world? I'd love to hear something about that. If there's an industry or a specific job or niche that you're fascinated by or just a person that you'd love to hear more about their journey, email me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to see what we could do to get someone uh, uh, that you're interested in on the show. So thank you so much for your support. Really, really appreciate it. It means a lot. If you haven't had a chance, I'd love for you to swing by iTunes, leave us an honest rating and review that really helps other people find out about the show. You can go to grantbaldoncom slash iTunes. If you're digging the show, if you're like, man, I need to, other people need to hear this, then your rating, your review, your support within iTunes really not only helps the iTunes system, but it just encourages me. And uh, it's good to know that people are, are being encouraged by the, uh, the interviews and the content that we are sharing. So thanks so much for checking out this show. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for being a part of the How'd You Get Into That community. And we will come at you again real soon. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.